and be in Hebrews 12 this morning. It's not as bad as it seems. Why do we have this tendency to overestimate or overstate the severity of the trials that we are in? So, for example, we're having a bad day at the office and our boss isn't listening to us and the co-workers are chirping away and, and we're just grumbling internally and all of a sudden we're out for lunch and we meet an old friend who has just lost their job due to right-sizing. And you go back to the office and you say, I'm glad I'm employed. I'm glad I have a job. Or, I'm not feeling that great. I'm coughing and uh, sniffling just a bit. And, uh, oh, my, the aches and the pains and the groans and the creaks and the pops. And you... Uh, you talk to a friend and you kind of commiserate, oh man, life is just, oh, it's, it's so bad getting old, isn't it? There's one amen, <laughs> one amen. And then that night you happen to go to somewhere and you talk to uh, someone that you've met recently and you find out they were just diagnosed with cancer. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Or one of your best friends has moved out of the area and, you, and you're struggling with the loss of that person who used to call you on a regular basis. You'd do lunch together. You'd have fun together. And life is just not the same without that friend here. And you go to church on Sunday and you find out that someone else you knew passed away that week. And you look at the mate that is left and the loss they are feeling and you realize you've got nothing compared to the loss they are feeling. Why do we overstate our struggles? It really is not as bad as it seems. Amen? Amen. We need a proper view of trials. We need to get a perspective on the hard times of our lives. And one of our problems is, is that we tend to give up too soon. Amen? We give up too soon. Oh, this is hard. If you've raised children, you give them a hard task, and they come back in 10 minutes later, you know, with the shovel and say, I got three weeds out. Well, there's a whole garden to do, son. Oh, I got to give up. It's just too hot. See, in the Christian life, well, I know what one of the problems is. How do you view the Christian life? Tiptoe through the tulips, right? It's just a bed of roses. Almost got a few bumps here and there, but, you know, life is good. We'd love to view it that way. Amen? Is that reality? No. It's not true at all. Can I not even suggest, can I tell you 
that the Christian life is a spiritual battleground. It's a battleground. We are in combat. And part of our training to walk the life of following Jesus involves spiritual boot camp to build perseverance in our lives through discipline. Do we like to hear that? No. I've never been through boot camp. What's boot camp like? Mark, what's boot camp like? It's bad. (laughs) It's discipline. I heard someone, they tear you down so they can build you up. Do those men and women like the process of boot camp? No. Is it for a purpose? Always. Everything they're doing is for a purpose. Well, today, we're going to look at a hard passage of Scripture that God is going to hide a promise for us in this passage. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, page 1285 there in the Pew Bible. The author of Hebrews has just taken us down the great hall of faith in chapter 11. And as begins chapter 12, Jesus is presented as our model of perseverance. Our example of patient, enduring in suffering. Always suffering for a purpose. This race that we're in, Now, we've just come off of the Big Seven. Unless you're a world-class runner, do you expect to come out the finisher in the Big Seven, yes or no? No. Then why run the race? Because you can say, I finished the Big Seven. Maybe I did a better job than I did last year. It's not to win, it's to finish the race. Whether it's the Big Seven or the Boston Marathon, it's to finish the race. That's the goal. Now before we dive into the passage, starting at verse 3, I need to set a few things straight before we look at the passage. We tend to mix these two words, punishment and discipline, and we make them synonymous, and they're not. What is punishment? That's what the P stands for there in your outline, punishment. Punishment is retribution or payback for evil done. A kid's definition of retribution is is the act of making a wrongdoer suffer. I don't get mad. I get even. I don't care what you've done to me. As long as I can inflict that level of pain back in your life, that's punishment. Does God punish us as his children, yes or no? No. See, if you said yes, you're confusing punishment and discipline. Punishment 
is punitive. Punishment says, I want some level of satisfaction. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And I want to feel good about the hurt I'm giving you. Discipline is different. Discipline is moral training is in view. Discipline is a process by which a child is conformed to standards or expectations of the parent. A kid's definition of discipline is punishment as a way to bring about good behavior. When the parent says, this is going to hurt me more than you, is that punishment or discipline? That's discipline. I have a a model, a picture, what I want my child to be like. And I'm going to bring things into his or her life so that he, he or she changes to become like my picture, that model for that child. If that child comes in, and I think every child goes through a period, and they begin to lie, is that acceptable No. So I'm going to bring things into their life to bear to break them of that habit of shading the truth or bold-faced lying. It's just not acceptable. I don't have to say, you lied to me, I'm going to make you hurt for that. That's punishment. God brings discipline into each of our lives. And what's the goal of discipline? To teach important lessons and to help us become more responsible and mature. Isn't that what we want for our kids? More responsible, more mature. They can handle more and more over time. So I'm going to bring discipline into their life. Why do they take soldiers through boot camp? So they can handle warfare, something they never experienced before. Now, if you're going through difficult times, it's due to one of three sources. One, it's due to your own foolish choices and behavior. Amen? You're just foolish. You made a bad choice. The second source of difficult times is attacks by your enemy, Satan. Remember, you're in a spiritual battleground. The third source of hard, difficult times is discipline of the Lord. The discipline of the Lord. But would you remember this? All three foolish choices... The battle with the enemy, the discipline of the Lord, all three are opportunities to grow and to learn from God through the process. All three. So let's look at the passage this morning of how God disciplines his children, how he disciplines us. Hebrews 12, 3 through 6. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. See, in verse 3, our tendency is to become discouraged or to tire before completing the course, before completing the race. Verse 4, we need perspective. Either we're dealing with sinful opposition or we're dealing with our own temptation internally. And the writer of Hebrews says, have you resisted to the point of becoming a martyr? Is anyone here a martyr today? Well, if you're breathing, you're not a martyr. You would have given up your life. But it also could refer to all-out combat. Verse 5, how true is this? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten something? See, our forgetfulness spiritually causes us a lot of unnecessary problems and heartaches in our lives. And, And he says, we run into two extremes in verse 5 when we come under God's discipline. My son, he's, he's quoting Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Our, our first extreme response is to disregard, to ignore the discipline, to, to despise it. This discipline, God, that you're putting me under has, has no benefit. I don't see the purpose of it. We become calloused. We begin to complain. We overreact. We we rebel because God's trying to teach me something so that my character will be more like Jesus Christ and I don't want anything to do with it. Have you been there? I have. God, just take this away. We disregard the discipline. Number two in verse 5 Or be weary when reproved by him. Weary. We faint. We we question God. We adopt an attitude of carelessness. We cave in. We, We just... God's trying to take us away from some sin, and we just said, "Uh, I'll just do it. I'll deal with the discipline later. Two extremes to avoid. Verse 6. Verse 6 is the promise for this morning. It's a promise we don't like embracing. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. As I reflected upon this verse... Do you understand that divine discipline is an evidence of divine love? 
Divine discipline. God wants my character to change. He's going to say, my standard for you is not what you're doing. Does God love us? Does he love me and you individually? Does he have an individualized plan for your life to make you more like Jesus? Yes or no? Yes. So therefore, will my discipline that I'm going through be the same as yours? Not necessarily. And sometimes we judge each other because we see things happening. And, well, God would never do that to me. Oh, he's got a different plan for you. Be careful to judge too quickly. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. See, we should not see trials as a cause for discouragement, but as a sign of God's determined love in each of our lives. And when our apathy or when our disobedience is great, I know you won't want to hear this, the discipline ramps up. Because my heavenly Father loves me so much, he's going to bring whatever necessary to get this foolishness out of my life and to make me more like Jesus Christ. He loves me. In verses 7 through 11, he talks about the benefits of discipline. And learning to appreciate them. And you would say, there are benefits to discipline? The answer is yes. Verses 7 and 8. Let me read those for you. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. To fill in the blank there in your outline, God's discipline assures us that we are his children. It says there that in this process of enduring, we are being trained. And that no son escapes discipline. We know this, but we don't like sometimes the fallout. God wants the best for us. So so he is going to strip away the things from our lives that are not the best. I haven't told you yet this, dear, but in front of our house, there is a wild tomato plant. Have you seen it yet? I mean, it's now about a foot, foot and a half tall, and and I'm wondering... What will it produce? Now, I didn't plant it there. Uh, Jim Miller, you didn't plant it there, correct? Nope, nope, didn't think so. Do you think it's going to produce tomatoes? I have no clue. What's my point? God loves us too much to let us develop naturally. That's a natural plant. Some bird planted it. From overhead. You understand. Very good. 
See, God disciplines to correct behavior. He doesn't discipline us to disown us. He doesn't discipline us to frustrate us. He disciplines us to remind us and to give us assurance. You're one of mine. This last week I was at the county store over just near us to pay a bill. And I sat in the waiting area and it's always full. And there was two children, both with, looked like squirt guns that were empty, three and five years old, and they were running back and forth in the waiting area, running and squealing. And I practiced patience. <laughs> and it's, you know, you know how full it is, and, and everyone kind of looked at them as they ran past, and the parents just sat there and let them go. There were other kids there who were sitting in their chairs and mom or dad was talking with them and engaging with them and uh, keeping them busy. But not these two. And I said, God, thank you for the illustration from my message Sunday. Which parents love their kids more the ones running or the ones engaging them in conversation? Engaging in conversation. Isn't that interesting? God doesn't want us to run wild. God want us, does not want us to just develop naturally because you know what? We're sinful. Left to our own, we will turn out like hellions. We need that assurance that we are loved. So when all of a sudden you come under discipline, divine discipline, what are you going to do? Would you first remember it's because God loves you? He wants you to be the very best you can be and he's going to bring the pressure and trials upon you to purify you. Number two, Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Number two, God's discipline deepens and enhances our spiritual life. See, the author here is comparing earthly fathers to heavenly fathers. And he makes the point that, you know, when our earthly fathers disciplined us, we didn't lose respect for them. Our spiritual father knows best. And if we can respect our earthly fathers, why can we not submit to our heavenly father? Why do we cop an attitude? Why do we sometimes internally shake our fist at him and say, God, this isn't fair? We've forgotten how much he loves us. He wishes to deepen us. He wishes to grow our maturity. He wants us to become more submissive spiritually to his leading. Or do we just become more disrespectful towards God. Thirdly, verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time, our earthly fathers, 
as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Number three, God's discipline continues for our benefit. God's discipline continues for our benefit. He contrasts in this one verse, time, motivation, perspective. He looks at the temporal and the brief versus the eternal, the lifetime. Our earthly fathers disciplined us until we moved out. They disciplined us what seemed best to them. But our earthly fathers are fallen, frail, and imperfect. Our Heavenly Father is perfect, infallible, consistent, and fair. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for what seemed best for them. Our Heavenly Father is disciplining us, notice this, so that we may share His holiness. What a purpose! As I studied the word holiness once again, I realized here, holiness is the essential character of an individual. And God wishes us to share with him his essential character. Make us more like Jesus. Finally, in verse 11, verse 11, for the moment... For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Do I hear an amen to that? Yes. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To fill in the blank number four, God's discipline, though painful, is ultimately valuable. Though painful is ultimately valuable. He is contrasting short-term versus long-term. Short-term discipline is painful. It's not pleasant. But long-term, it produces positive results. But we must participate. That last phrase in verse 11, for those who have been trained by it the word trained in the original greek is gymnazo do you hear a little word in there that we might know gymnasium a place of training a place to produce maturity and i think he's asking us the question in verse 11 what's your focus The pain and the immediate discomfort. Oh, I'm sweating so much. Or is it the long-term benefits of God's discipline, which is righteousness? The external manifestation of character. Would you please learn to endure God's discipline? There's a purpose for it. What does this mean for us? I have one question this morning. How do you respond to discipline, to God's discipline in particular? And I'll tell you right now that each time our response may be different. 
There are times when God's discipline falls upon us and we know how to deal with it, but there are other times and we cop an attitude. So here's four ways that we can respond. Number one, I can accept it with resignation. Oh dear, it's my lot to suffer for Jesus. It's my fate. Oh, pray for me. Accept it with resignation. Number two, accept it with self-pity. That's where I think I don't deserve this. God, what are you doing? I I don't think it's as bad as you think it is. Uh, Whose perspective is right? Well, I know whose is. I just don't want to accept it. Number three. How do you respond to discipline number three? Reject it with anger and resentment towards God. God, you do not know what you're doing. And when I cop that attitude of anger and resentment, I allow his discipline to mess up the relationship and my intimacy between me and God. Number four, accept it with grace. Accept it with grace. Allow it to accomplish his purpose in my life and in yours. Don't forget, does he love you? Does he want the best for you? Does he know what is best for you? He created you. And the goal he has for each of our lives is to make us more like Jesus Christ. I can't ask for anything better. Can I develop a humble attitude which would say something like this? Teach me, Lord. Teach me. Help me learn. Can can you say this? Thank you, Lord. You have proven again that you love me and that I'm your child. Thank you for bringing this discipline into my life. Oh, that takes maturity to say that. See, the promise is the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And chastises every son whom he receives. Therefore, hang in the buggy. It fits here, doesn't it, Dick? Hang in the buggy. Don't give up too soon. Claim God's grace to persevere. And would you please remember, you're not alone in this marathon. So why do I need to apply this? Because God doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants each of us to grow and mature, to become more responsible spiritually. And either I can learn my lessons early, or I can learn the lesson repeatedly. Take your pick. Some lessons I do learn early, but some I am still going back, and God is bringing discipline into my life and yours. 
It's your choice. How do you want to go through this? And when I see a brother or sister going through God's discipline, be careful not to judge them. Pray for them. Encourage them along the way. Because there's going to come a day you're going to need those very things in your own life. Amen? Amen. Are we all at times under God's discipline? I didn't hear you. Yes. We don't like it, but it's always for a purpose. Let's pray.